Matthew chapter 8 this evening, Matthew chapter 8. While you're turning, do you remember this? Now, I actually looked it up today, and so I saw an old commercial. In fact, the music was even a little warbly, you know, when they started to play it, when I, when I watched it online. And I remembered the words. I'll, I'll see if I, I wrote them down. But as soon as I start saying the words, many of you will say, oh, I know exactly. In fact, if I just said the phrase that the little jingle is connected to, you would be able to, you know, finish much of it. And some of you would have no clue whatsoever. It's like, wow, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, but there is a crew here that knows of what I speak. And here's the, the first line, reach out and... Touch someone, yeah, reach out, reach out and touch someone. Reach out, reach out and just say hi. Wherever you are, you're never too far to call out and just say hey, something like that. So reach out and touch someone. It was an old commercial. AT&T actually um, took it when AT&T took over the Bell Telephone Company. And when you look at some of these old commercials from the Bell Telephone Company, you see them with this object that hangs on the wall. And then there's this long curly string that connects a receiver. And they have these really, quite honestly, touching commercials about reaching out to touch someone. I I saw several of the commercials today and I'm like, wow, those are well done communicating the idea that a touch through the means of a telephone is a significant or meaningful touch. Tonight, we learned a little bit more about something that Pastor Burdick told us about, and that is Campus Church Cares. Now, that should not be something that is unique to any church. There there is no church that shouldn't have some connection that is ready and immediate and obvious to care Now, I wish that all churches, including Campus Church and certainly including myself, cared perfectly like the one we model. But churches clearly should care. Tonight, we're going to look at the example of one who clearly did. And, you know, with the the little, I don't know, the, the little jingle that was from days gone by, reach out and touch someone. There's something about our hands that are connected to our serving And it's not foreign to Christ. Again, that perfect example. So your Bibles are open right now to Matthew chapter 8. Let's begin in verse number 1. And let's begin by looking at what we might refer to as these hands of compassion. Matthew chapter 8, not an unfamiliar story. The Bible says in verse number 1, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, there's obviously a lot going on in this passage. One of the things that we see is is the continuation on. In Matthew, there are so many different evidences of the divinity of Christ. We see Christ demonstrated through the genealogies of Scripture. In fact, Matthew gives us a a, a replete genealogy of Jesus and it connects us again to, wow, this is the king. And we see the prophecies connected to his birth. We see this is the promised one. 
We see the, 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 the statement of the father at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We, we keep getting over and over again these reassurances that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. But when we come down from the, the mount in this powerful sermon on the mount, we start to see another one of those evidences of his divinity. And that is this, this wonder-working God who can do that, which no human, no mere mortal could actually accomplish himself. And so we see him touch the leper and the leper at that moment was cleansed. Now we hear a lot of, uh, of course, about leprosy throughout scripture. In fact, if you grew up in church, you, you understood the magnitude of leprosy and the pictures of the same. Leprosy in Bible times is something that we don't know a lot about in our times. It's not a a completely uh, absent disease today. But it's something that in our culture we're not nearly as familiar with. Certainly in Jesus' day, people understood the, the consequences of leprosy. So a person who is declared a leper might as well. In fact, there there appears to be more chance of a person being resurrected from the dead than a person being healed of leprosy. Or if you could do one, you could actually do the other. Do you remember when Naaman goes to Israel to see Elijah to be healed of his leprosy? Do you remember the story? And so the king of Syria sends him and he comes with this entourage and he comes loaded with gifts and he goes to see the prophet and, and, um, and the first thing that he does is he brings this letter from the king of Syria to the king of Israel. Listen to what the king of Israel says in response to receiving this letter. It came to pass, 2 Kings 5, 7, when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, am I God? In other words, if a person can do this, he'd have to be God. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. This king realizes if someone has leprosy this is a death sentence and am I a God? Do I have the power to actually somehow touch this man and heal him of his leprosy? And and he's just understanding the the jeopardy that he's in with the king of Syria. I say all of that to say there is something incredibly traumatic about a person who has been diagnosed with leprosy. Furthermore, we understand how the people thought about leprosy. I I don't know what you might um, associate today with leprosy, but a leper obviously was to to be what we hear a lot about today, and that is quarantined. So the leper is not to go about into the general population. In fact, the Bible says Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Now clearly the leper understood the need that he has and the shocking nature of his need. But what Jesus does, because this this leper breaks with the cultural um, um, norms of the day. He breaks with the scriptural norm of the day. 
There's a crowd of people, the Bible says, that had come down from the mount. And now this leper shows up in the middle of it. And he's petitioning Jesus for something very specific. He says, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, essentially, I want, I will, be thou clean. This is not only radical, but what Jesus does next is that which dumbfounds the people that are standing around. I really believe this. I think we'll find out someday if if this is actually what happened. But I genuinely believe that when Jesus does what he does next, there were audible gasps in the people that were there. Maybe one of the disciples lunges for Jesus when they see what he's about to do. Maybe several people, you could hear them some audibly. Have you ever said something that you didn't actually know you were saying? Like, no! But Jesus reaches out physically and he touches the leper. This is not only, only, you know, culturally you just don't do. This is just one of those shocking things that they can't imagine. Why would Jesus put himself in such peril by touching the leper? Sometimes we, we talk about, we use the expression, you know, getting your hands dirty. Well, he just kind of got in there and he, he just dove in and got his hands dirty. Jesus clearly enters humanity and, and not that there's anything unclean about Jesus, but to, to help us understand the expression, he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He touches the leper. Now the beautiful, powerful thing about Jesus is what Jesus touches doesn't defile him. It makes the thing he touches clean. And so Jesus goes and he touches the leper. Can you imagine how uncomfortable the disciples must have been when the leper approached? Let alone what Jesus does in reaching out to the leper. Now let me ask you, what kind of person makes you uncomfortable when they approach? And I'm, I'm not trying to be silly about the question. And certainly I, I suppose we could, we could be silly about it, but I'm not trying to be. What situation is it that oftentimes like, oh, Lord, I just don't, I don't want to get involved in this. It's going to be messy. Lord, I, I don't know that I want to touch this because then it's going to require me to do this and this and this and this. What kind of a situation or, or who is the person that I just don't want to, I, I, my life is already orderly right now. In, in Jude, verse 22, the Bible says, and of some have compassion making, isn't that wonderful, making a difference so what is it that makes the difference or what is it that motivates the making of the difference it's those that are moved by compassion Jesus seeing the multitudes was moved by by the sense of compassion there are a lot of situations that make any of us uncomfortable people setting situations this happened to me this last um, I guess it was last Thursday and Thursday, I went and, and took my car to the car wash. And so I'm, I'm, my car is going through. And I'm sitting out in front of the car wash on, on one of their metal chairs. And I actually had my iPad out. And I'm sending emails while I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for my car to be washed. And, and I saw them coming. And I'm not very good at this. So it makes me uncomfortable. 
I'm not very good at telling people no and I assumed right away that he was going to ask me for something and and oh I didn't want to be involved in this situation and my my mind immediately went to why does the why does the car wash allow people to to come and, and ask their patrons if they will provide something for them why does it why doesn't the car wash take care of this If you had settings and circumstances that you could identify with that you just think, oh no, I don't, this is the last thing I want to do. And I had honest work to do that was sitting on my lap. So he came up and and he's kind of standing on the other side of this little pavilion and, and he just starts conversation. Hello, sir, how are you today? And I smiled at him and I said, I'm doing fine, thank you. And then do you know how you want to communicate that you're really still busy? I'm fine, thank you. And then he said, boy, it's a beautiful day out. Yes, sir, it is. And, and he continued conversation. So I, I kind of closed my iPad and I started to engage in conversation. And then he said, um, and he had a, he had a, a, a little box of Whoppers. Do you know those, those chocolate covered malted balls? You know, I... He had a, a box of Whoppers in his hand, and, and I like Whoppers, you know. And so I said, hey, where'd you get the Whoppers? He says, you know, somebody gave me a dollar, and over at the store across the street, you can buy them for a dollar. So I, I got a, a box of Whoppers. And we talked a little bit, and he said, would you be able to help me with a meal? He was very kind about it, and he wasn't belligerent and wasn't pushy, and, and I didn't answer him. So I just continued conversation because I've been taken for so many rides and I'm just not good at discernment. So he said, would you be able to help me with a meal? And I, I just didn't answer him. And so I continued conversation. So um, I just, he said, I'm here applying for, a, he was there applying to work at the car wash. Now he was probably older than their normal employee would be. So he was, he was getting up in years, but... But I, I continued the conversation and then he came walking around with quite a limp and he walked around, he had a, had a bike there and he came walking around and, and he said, you know, he said, God's been teaching me some things. And then he started to quote scripture after scripture about what the Lord's been teaching him. Now, here's what would happen. He'd start the scripture and I'd say, oh, and I would finish the scripture. And when I finished the first one, he kind of looked at me like, well, you're not supposed to know that. And I was looking at him like, huh, you're not supposed to know that. I mean, he, this went on four, five, six different scriptures. He'd start a scripture and I would finish the scripture. And he says, you know, he said, God's really got my attention. And he said, it wasn't until about a year ago when I had this injury with my hip. He said, and you know, I'm just thanking God that he injured my hip because he got my attention in ways that he needed to get it. And you know, he hadn't asked me again for a meal. He asked one time and that was it. And, and we just started to talk about the goodness of God. And then he says to me, he says, um, you, you're a man of God. And I didn't say anything. I didn't say, yes, I am. I didn't say anything. He said, you, a man of God. And I said, well, I, I love him. And he says, I do too. And we just continued to have this really beautiful conversation. So um, my car came out. And they're, they're drying it off and... And he said, that's your car? And I said, it's the car I drive. And he said, that's a nice car. I said, the, the Lord's been very kind to me. And we just continue to have this very pleasant conversation. I, quite honestly, I don't usually carry 
um, you know, but a couple dollars with me, and I, I looked in my wallet, and I had a five, and so he only asked me once, and I said, hey, here's something for you, and he looked at me, and he said, thank you, thank you, and then I said, hey, hang on just a second, and I had a, a card for a meal in my car, so they were finishing up with my car, and I went, and I got the, the card, and I brought it back, and I said, hey, this will this will buy a meal, and he looked at me like, well, you know, maybe people have, but he looked at me like, well, people don't, people don't do that. And, and then I pulled out my card and I said, hey, I want you to come see me. And he looked at it and he says, you are a man of God, he said. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and then he shook my hand and I reached out my hand. And you know, it's interesting, the, the thought that crossed my mind when I reached out my hand in a, in a climate, in a day when we really aren't doing a lot of physical touching. And he, sh- he shook my hand and I shook his. And then, and then we, we ended. And then he looked at me and I thought, I, he's coming in for a hug. <laughs> Do you know how you can tell? You know, it's like shaking hands like, oh, they're coming in, you know. Are you a hugger? Are you a, the kind of person that's a, you know, like, bring it in here, you know? Honestly, I, I never was a, a hugger. I think Johnny Pope, do you know Johnny Pope? Johnny Pope first introduced me to the man hug, okay? We were, um, I was picking him up at the airport in Pensacola and back in my youth pastor days and and um, this was back when you could actually go to the gate and pick people up. So I walk back there and I'm waiting for Johnny and, and he comes out and, and you know, he's, he's not a silent, a, a, a very quiet man. So he comes out and, Brother Jeff! Hey, Johnny. You know, I'm just kind of <laughs> saying hey. And Brother Jeff! And I said, hey, great to see you. He says, come on, man. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> but he's not like that. You know, he's just like, oh! and you know he gives you the big bear hug and he slaps your back and you know and and that was that was one of my early introductions I know people are different and everybody doesn't have to be the same but but this man his name's Joseph he gave me a hug and I hugged him back hugged him back you know we do the 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 back slap and the hug and and um, when when I came back he looked at me and he says, I love you. And he had tears in his eyes. And then he said it again, oh, I love you. He said, Joseph, I love you too. I don't know anything else about him. I mean, I, I could be as wrong as the day is long. But I still think it was a valuable touch in, in ways that oftentimes we are uncomfortable Isn't it interesting that at times God brings us to places that would make us uncomfortable for the purpose of advancing something that is not uncomfortable to him. When we start to think about who it was that Jesus was known to spend time with, who is he known to spend time with? He's called a friend of. When we we talk about the friend of publicans and the friend of sinners, a publican is considered the worst of sinners. And so what kind of sinners are we talking about? 
I mean, if you want to define really bad sin, what kind of really bad sin would you throw into that definition? What kind of really bad sin do we face today in our culture? What's the worst or most uncomfortable sin you can think of? So do you think that there is a hand from God through you that might be asking you with a heart of compassion or a hand of compassion to forgive the the borrowing of a phrase, but to reach out and touch someone? How will your hands be used to demonstrate care? Not only of campus church, but more importantly of the Christ of campus church. Whose meal can you prepare? Whose leaves can you rake? Whose baby can you hold? Whose door can you fix? Whose furniture can you help move? And so on. We have numbers of examples of people right in this place who do this over and over and over again. One of them that immediately comes to mind, that that probably comes to the mind of many in here. As far as someone that just knows how to use hands to help in very practical ways, he's one of our deacons. His name is Rod C. Rod C has an ability to fix things, to repair things, to help with some physical need. And, And you don't know how many times Pastor Burdick has picked up the phone and said, hey, Rod, do you think you could help with? And here, these hands of compassion go and in felt ways touch someone by resolving some real need. I have a, I have a dear friend named Jameson Coppola. Many of you know him. J- Jamie is... is intelligent on many levels but you know one of the things that Jamie is just good at is analyzing a situation and then fixing something that's broken and Jamie's gone over to to widows homes and and cut down tree limbs that are hanging over their roof he's done roofing projects cabinet projects he just what can I do and he does them for people who have some need he's not doing something for someone that should be doing for themselves he's saying okay They have a need. How are they going to meet that need? God, are you asking me to? Now, this is going to cost me time. I could be doing this. I could be involved in this. I I would rather be. But this is something that I can do to extend your reach, your touch into their lives. You know, those are what we would call hands of compassion. I, I thought a little bit further about hands of preparation. You say, I'm not good at any of those things. Okay, hands of preparation. Throughout the Gospels, there is something that is prominent all throughout. In fact, it's not just in the Gospels, it's throughout Scripture. And it goes beyond Scripture. It it helps us understand, okay, even past the the, the Gospels, the times of Christ, even past this, this church age that we're in, there is even coming a time when this continues on. And that is this connection that we have with meals. Did you have, I don't know that you did, but I suspect many in this room had over the course of the holidays opportunity to sit down with people you don't get to see all the time and break bread. And probably for many, there was not only the allure of some special meal, 
Like, oh, whenever grandma makes or whenever mom makes or whenever my wife makes or whenever the, listen, you had some appeal to the food, but I dare say that there was something because, you know, something, something that is this, this grand stalled ax when, when there is some bitterness, it's just not the same. But some of you had, had, oh, wow, we had this wonderful meal, but the thing that really got your attention was that which was shared around the meal. So why are meals so prominent throughout scripture? I I don't presume to have all the answers to that other than certainly that's something that we need, we we, we have to have on a regular basis, but, but it does seem like there's something even more important than just the meal. And it is that which we share around the meal. But I say unto you, Matthew chapter 26, 29. I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus had been enjoying the Passover meal with the disciples and he says, listen, not only did we have this to enjoy, but I'm looking forward to a future time, a fellowship around a meal. Of course, there were all kinds of meals prepared for Jesus and and for his followers, the disciples. We see them all throughout. They, they had meals in people's homes, meals in Pharisees' homes. They had meals with, with Martha, with Mary. They had, um, they had meals when they celebrated the Passover. They had meals that Jesus prepared. They had meals that Jesus prepared for large groups of people. And, and what does he do? You know, we've been thinking about hands, Mark chapter 6, verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves. How did he do that? With his hands and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. He takes the fish, he divides the fish, he breaks the bread. And they did all eat and were were filled. Luke chapter 22, verse number 19. This was when the disciples, Peter says, I go fishing. I got to do something. And Jesus meets them on the seashore. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread. I I looked at the word taketh. It it means he, he carries it with him. He has it with him. How he does so, I don't know. But Jesus brings the bread. And then it goes on further. Then cometh Jesus and taketh bread and giveth them. And fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. He he brought a meal. There was something you have to know that was special about sitting around this fire that Jesus had going. They'd been fishing all night. They're cold. They're wet and hungry. Do you know the the smell of food and how that conjures up memories in our minds? Just the scent of certain food. And so they smell this food and the fire is there and Jesus is there. And then Jesus with his hands takes food and he puts it into their hands. In our culture, we're a little bit more separated from the, the consuming of food. But in many cultures around the world, utensils are not part of your, your eating. You just use your hands. I was in India and I was in a pastor's home in India and he shared a meal. We broke bread and the meal was served on a plate and the plate was given to you with one hand and then you ate the food with the other. And it was a meal of 
of rice and vegetables and chicken all mixed together rather sticky and wet and I'm there with two other pastors and we're sitting in his home and we're sitting at chairs with no table just in chairs and and they began to eat and so I'm watching them because I'm I'm kind of waiting for the fork you know and I'm watching and they just start taking their fingers and and they they pick up the food and and they put the food so carefully and cleanly and smoothly in their mouth and this is not just like pick up a piece of chicken this is this is food that that moves on you okay and so I'm sitting there and and um I have my I have my plate and and um, I'm watching them and and so I kind of try what they do and I pick the food up and and then to try to get this into your mouth cleanly it's really impossible you know so so I take it and I'm trying to you know, kind of move it into my mouth and it's, it's going all over. I'm kind of, I got stuff all over the place. And then it's all over my hands and I'm, I'm eating just like them, trying to carry on conversation and wiping my mouth. And, and then I'm all done. We're all done. They are as clean as can be. Hands are clean, face is clean. And I'm standing there. I look like a two-year-old that's just had spaghetti, okay? I, I have stuff all over my hands and I don't know what to do with my hand now because I have food all over my hand. And so I'm kind of sitting there, you know, like this, <laughs> trying to, you know, get the food off. I, very uncomfortable, but that's the way people ate with their hands. Do you know how it, how it worked? It came from the hand of one to the hand of another. Th- this is a hand of preparation. I know we're, we're a little uncomfortable with that style of eating, but this tactile sense of, of consuming food, that's part of the culture. And it came from one person's hand. Now, that's not so strange today. That hands prepare the food. And it's what the hands of Jesus do, the hands of preparation. You know, I mentioned a couple people, and I was thinking about, there are so many people here that are quite, I don't know, their, their ministry is a ministry that's quite profound through, through hands of preparation. And I could mention a lot of people, but there were two that came out immediately to my mind. And it stood out to me because they're busy. They have a lot going on. And they have a lot of mouths to feed themselves. Do you know, two of the people, this couple in our church, I suspect that they deliver as many meals to people in our church as maybe anyone else in our church. And it's, it is Pastor Burdick and his wife, Michelle. They have five boys. They are hungry boys, okay? Um, we actually, you know, it's one of the reasons why he does connect all the time. It's just to feed his kids, okay? So... <laughs> I find it so interesting that, that all the time there's this person and this person and this person. And, and Pastor Burdick will say, yeah, we're lining up meals. Michelle and I have this time. And I'm like, these people are busy and, and you're cooking for a lot of kids and you got a lot going on. And let me ask you, have you ever been humbled by someone knocking on your door and bringing you a meal? And the touch... It's humbling, it's, it's moving, like someone came and they prepared this meal and they're bringing this meal to your home. 
you become in so many ways the hands of Christ by preparing a meal. Let me just mention this last one, but you know, they're, they're hands of compassion, hands of preparation. I thought about the hands of blessing. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. <laughs> That he should touch them. And the disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. You know, the verb brought is in the imperfect tense and it communicates the idea that they just kept coming, just kept coming. Maybe the disciples would have said, oh, boy, she got through. Okay, she, they got some kids. And then there's another and another. And maybe some mothers saw that, oh, they're getting their kids to Jesus. Come on, come on. Hey, hey, the kids are lining up to see Jesus. And they're all coming. They kept coming and finally the disciples are like, hey, he doesn't have time for this. Now cut it out. No, no more. That's it. No more to Jesus. He's a busy man. And Jesus figures out that they're keeping children from him. Do you know there are times. Now, why did the disciples do this? They're doing this because they're thinking he's got more important things to do than to spend time with your kids. He's, a, he's an important man. He's a busy man. Hey, he's got more important things to do than to, you know, play with your children. So, so come on, you guys stay back. Set up a perimeter, you know. And Jesus is much displeased. Why? Because, because they're not, he's, he, this is Jesus, the king. But he's not too important to do those things that, that many would deem as not so important. Sometimes we, we may become too important to do the truly important things. We get wrapped up in life and work, ministry. And ministry is important. And this has to be done and I have this and I, I can't deny this. And I get it, I know. There are times when you simply can't. But maybe, maybe all too often we've concluded that that's just not important enough. Let someone else that's less important than me take care of that responsibility. And that which was deemed really unimportant, children, and Jesus deemed by others as way too important, he really kind of turned the tables on this. And that was to some, oh, he, he put his hands on them. He took them up in his arms. What's the big deal? Do you know what kind of a touch that was? Will, will that mom ever forget that Jesus, through a touch, blessed her child? And maybe some child will never forget it was nothing more than a touch. Maybe there was no time for conversation. Maybe there was no opportunity for instruction, for teaching. It was just a moment, a pause, just a touch. You know, sometimes that little touch from you is just pausing to, to look someone in the eye when they speak to you. 
little touch, passing by, a little word. Like, I'm on a mission. I've got something to do. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Maybe just a little. Hey, I'm well. How are you? It's just a touch. But that little pause, that little touch may provide a means of blessing that we may never fully know. You know, sometimes there's, there's blessings in ways that we haven't even touched. It's a prayer. It's a note. It's a, it's a special little touch. Somebody this last week on Sunday night touched one of our missionaries. I'll, I'll close with this, but I got this from Stephen Maldoff today. Stephen's one of our missionaries, and he said, Greetings. I heard word that my family was up on the big screen as some of the spotlighted missionaries Sunday evening. Do you know, before services, we oftentimes just put different missionaries up, pray for, and then, and then we put their name up there. He goes on and he says, we were stuck in Washington, D.C. at the time when that would have gone up and people may have just offered a word of prayer. He, he, they, were, they were stuck there because of snow. And he said, we were trying to get back, but they said we couldn't get back until Tuesday. So they were going to be delayed two days in an airport. He goes on and he said, the Lord sent three people from the airline that they were flying Three people from the airline that for some reason, unbeknownst to us, took us on and figured out how can we get this family home. I I wrote him and I said, hey, thanks for the encouraging email. He went on and he said, it's really neat how the Lord connected us with those agents. There was one line that was probably a hundred people deep that needed help. And he said, I don't know how they, they selected us, but, but he, he did say this. He said, he said, it was something that I can only thank the Lord for. It was just a little touch through prayer. He is asking the church to be his body. And his body certainly includes his hands. Campus Church Cares is a way, but it's only one small way. That by his grace, we might reach out and touch someone.